Part One, Chapter Nine of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. A silence ensued. The Countess looked at the guest, smiling pleasantly, but nevertheless making no pretense of the fact that she would not be sorry if she got up and took her departure. The daughter was already arranging her dress and looking inquiringly at her mother when suddenly there was heard in the next room the noise of several persons running towards the door, then the catching and upsetting of a chair, and instantly into the drawing-room darted a maiden of thirteen holding something in her short muslin skirt. She halted in the middle of the room, and it was evident that her wild frolic had carried her farther than she had intended. At the same instant there appeared in the door a student with a crimson collar, a young officer of the guard, a maiden of fifteen, and a plump, rosy-faced little boy in a frock. The Count jumped up, and swinging his arms, threw them around the little girl who had come running in. "'Ah, here she is!' he cried with a jolly laugh. "'Her name-day, mon cher, her name-day!' "'Mon cher, il y a un temps pour tout,' said the Countess, feigning severity. "'You are always spoiling her, Ely she added, addressing her husband. "'Bonjour, mon cher. Je vois Felicette,' said the visitor. "'Coulez de ses enfants,' she added, turning to the mother. The little maiden, with her black eyes and her large mouth, was not pretty, but was full of life, her childish shoulders still breathlessly rising and sinking from the effort of her exciting running, were bare, her dark locks were thrown back in confusion. She had thin, bare arms, and wore pantalettes trimmed with lace, and low slippers on her dainty feet. She was at that charming age when the girl is no longer a child, but when the child is not yet a young lady. Tearing herself away from her father, she ran to her mother, and giving no heed to her stern reproof, hid her blushing face in the lace folds of her mother's mantilla, and went into a fit of laughter. The cause of her laughter was the doll which she took out from under her skirt, trying to tell some fragmentary story about it. "'Do you see? It's my doll. <laughs> Mimi. You see?' And Natasha was unable to say any more. It seemed to her so ludicrous. She leaned on her mother, and laughed so merrily and infectiously, that all, even the conceited visitor, in spite of herself— joined in her amusement. "'Now, run away, run away with your monster,' admonished the mother, pushing away her daughter, with pretended sternness. "'She is my youngest,' she added, turning to the visitor. Natasha, for a moment raising her face from her mother's lace mantle, glanced up at the stranger through her tears of laughter, and again hid her face. The visitor, compelled to admire this family scene, felt it incumbent upon her to take some part in it. "'Tell me, my dear,' said she, turning to Natasha, "'what relation is this Mimi to you? She is your daughter, I suppose?' Natasha was offended by the condescending tone in which the lady addressed her. She made no reply, and looked solemnly at her. Meantime, all the young people mentioned. The officer, who was none other than Boris, the son of Princess Anna Mikhailovna, Nikolai, the student, the Count's oldest son, Sonya, the Count's fifteen-year-old niece, and the little Petrusha, his youngest boy, 
all crowded into the drawing-room, evidently doing their utmost to restrain within the bounds of propriety the excitement and merriment which convulsed their faces. It could be seen that there in the rear rooms, from which they had rushed so impetuously, they had been engaged in much more entertaining conversation than town gossip, the weather, and Comtesse Apraxine. Occasionally they would glance at one another, and find it hard to refrain from bursting out laughing again. The two young men, the student and the officer, who had been friends from childhood, were of the same age, and were both good-looking, but totally unlike each other. Boris was tall and fair, with regular, delicate features, and a placid expression. Nikolai was a short, curly-haired young man, with a frank, open countenance. On his upper lip the first dark down had already begun to appear, and his whole face was expressive of impetuosity and enthusiasm. Nikolai's face had flushed crimson the moment he entered the drawing-room. It was plain to see that he strove in vain to find something to say. Boris, on the contrary, immediately regained his self-possession, and began to relate, calmly and humorously, how he had been acquainted with this Mimi Kolka when she was a fine young lady before her nose had lost its beauty, how since their acquaintance, begun five years before, she had grown aged and cracked as to the whole surface of her cranium. As he said this, he looked at Natasha, but she turned away from him and looked at her little brother, who was squeezing his eyes together and shaking with suppressed laughter, and finding that the effort was beyond her power, snickered out loud and darted from the room as fast as her nimble little feet would carry her. Boris managed to preserve his composure. Maman, do you not want to go out? Shall I not order the carriage? he asked, turning to his mother with a smile. Yes, yes, go and order it, please, said she, returning his smile. Boris quietly left the room and went in pursuit of Natasha. The plump little boy trotted sturdily after them, as though he was vexed at heart at the disarrangement made in his plans. End of chapter 9